Welcome to the Plus Six Podcast. My name is Pete, and I go by the name of AFL Ratings Pete on Twitter. Joining me on episode 14 as co-host is a man you know on Twitter as JeppyDT. Welcome to the show, Jep. Thanks, Pete. Our goal this year on the Plus Six Podcast is to guide a coach to overall winner. Again, the amount of listens and support for the podcast has been overwhelming, so thank you. We want to repay your loyalty with quality information all season long. If you haven't caught up with episode 13 as yet, I interviewed Ryan Daniels. It is well worth a listen as we covered off on Perth Media along with West Coast and Fremantle News. On to play in the user notes. Lance Franklin, positive news, he may be a go for round one. Josh Kennedy said last week, I'm pretty confident knowing Buddy that he'll get up for round one. Buddy's price at an average of 70.5. 2016-2017 he averaged in the mid-90s. That might also be decent news for Isaac Heaney's usage. Your thoughts, Egypt? Well, look, a, a fit Buddy Franklin and a firing Buddy Franklin's definite value there. So let's let's just pencil him down on the watch list and, and see how he performs. And obviously he's going to get nursed through pre-season and put in cotton wool. But if if there's a hint of, um, of you know, even a 90% um, fit Lance Franklin, then um, there's value in, in picking him in the forward line, especially this year. I agree on value, but still is enough for me that injury restriction, you're almost locking in a trade in the early rounds of the season. On to Harley Bunnell. Obviously, last week we caught up that he had been signed by Melbourne. GM of football at Melbourne, Josh Marnie, said he's running at 60 to 70% running capability. He won't be ready by round one, Jep. Yeah, no, he's um, a mid-season option for us. So let's just move on and, um, and get on with the other rooks. Max Gorn. He's back running at the rehab group at Melbourne today. He's 9.8% owned, and that ownership is falling every day. At what point will ownership play a factor in a decision-making starting Max Gorn at round one for you, Jep? Far out. I didn't know it was 9.8%, mate. It is, dro- uh, it is, it is dropping, and if it drops down to 5%, I am very interested. That's... Um, look, look... Obviously, if he plays in a Marsh Series match and, and does pretty okay, he's, he's only shit's going to go up. So there's a lot to to happen before round one. But even at ten, less than ten percent ownership, that's that's pretty low. That's unique for uh, for you know the fourth or fifth highest averaging scorer last year. Um, yeah, injuries obviously and rightly so scare off coaches, but um, he's still got plenty of time to to get to match fitness um, prior to the end of March. So um, yeah, all right. You've got my attention. It's an interrupted preseason, and for me, that's a, almost an automatic red cross. But when a player like Max Gorn is falling below 10%, that is spiking my interest back up to take on that risk early in the season. Stephen May, he's been sidelined with a knee injury again. He's had surgery. Opportunities will open up if he misses the start of the season. Over to the Blues, Jack Martin, coach David Teague, appears likely to increase his midfield usage after an impressive preseason. He's at 619k, and he is 5.5% owned, Jep. Yeah, um, one that definitely interests me. I've done a lot of research on Jack in the in the break, in the fantasy preseason, and a, a stat that surprises me is his tackle numbers. Mm. His yep. tackle numbers are very, very good. Now, Carlton play a little bit of possession footy. I know they struggled in the overall possession, but I think their game plan with with some of their quality ball users in the back half. Um, Jack's obviously the link man. And delivering that forward 50, they're going to want the ball in his hands. I see a lot of positive value out of Jack Martin. And um, 
those 5.5% owners are, are clever people. For me, the language coming from David Teague is very strong on Jack Martin. From what I've seen at Carlton training a few weeks ago, he was a half-hauled flanker and into the midfield. After that, Teague went on radio and he said he's increasing his midfield usage, starting to spike my interest a lot a lot more there, Jep. Yeah, look, um, let's, let's just give it away, mate. Um, he's in my team at the moment. Mm-hmm. Over to Sam Doherty. He's had a very solid pre-season. David T last week said he's training well and tracking nicely. He's 52% owned. I don't think there's a decision for us there, Jeb. I've got him. Do you? Yeah. There's too much value to ignore there, mate. If um, he's a leader of that football club and um, he'll, he'll command the back half and set up a lot of their play and he'll be like a fresh recruit and a fresh recruit for fantasy as well. Brody Kemp. He was a 2019 draft selection for the Blues. David Teague said last week he's not going to play for a fair while. Sam Petrescu-Seaton, David Teague stated last week he's going to start the season across halfback. This is also strong language from Teague. I didn't see it in training there a couple of weeks ago, but Teague is very strong on this language. I just... So we got Simpson, Doherty, mm-hmm. Newman, and now Petrescu-Seaton. Yep. It's a lot to fit in a six-man back line, Pete. I, I don't know about that one. I guess I guess Newman, a small, deep defender. You've got Simpson and Doherty is the mainstay, but you've got Simpson and Petrescu, Seaton rotating as, as being that third link. Carlton did struggle for turnovers last year. They ranked quite poorly. So what David T may or may not be interested in is reducing those turnovers. So having a good ball user, uh, such as SPS... And Doherty back in that team, and Simpson obviously is a good ball user. That starts to reduce the turnovers there, Jep. Yeah, well, if if he's true to his, if Teague is true to his word, I would think Simpson plays a different role this year. Mm. Um, being in his probably last year of footy, yep. Maybe plays in a half forward flank. I'm just, it wouldn't surprise me. It's happened a lot before from our veterans. Um, he doesn't have, you know, Cade's lost a lot of foot speed, so to run with the likes of a Papley or whoever he's manned up against, someone with a bit of toe. I think it sounds like um, Cade's up, Cade Simpson's up for a different role this year. Well, it might be just the handover from Simpson to SPS. It might, yeah. be, it might be that season of that, just evolving. Yep. Over the Bulldogs, Toby McLean. Last week he said, this year I think I'll be playing more forward again. That's good news for the midfield rotation of Dunkley, McRae, Bont and Kojep. Yeah, and Bailey Smith, and I saw your tweet. Um, we'll talk about it a bit later on. Um, Riley West as well. So, unfortunate for McLean. He's a quality player, and he probably deserves a gig in, in the midfield. But, um, obviously, he's true to his role for his teammates, and um, he'll make the most of it. But from a fantasy point of view, we're, uh, we're not interested. It's just been passed by better quality midfield players for me. Over to Port Adelaide, Scott Lysett recently said on a dual-work setup with Peter Adams. I would like to think that we could play together, obviously in the same team. But once we start playing games, I guess we'll really find out. So what we're going to see over the preseason, hopefully Ken Hinckley stays true to his word and plays them both in the same, same team so we can get a fair indication of what's going to happen at round one. What we don't want to see as fantasy coaches is Lysette play one game, then Laddams play one game, then we've actually just got no idea. Yeah, it's happened before, hasn't it? Um... It's an interesting one with Dixon on that side. I just don't know how 
the team, you know, Port coaching staff want to line up. Um, yeah, we'll we'll have to gauge it on the preseason games, I think, Pete, because um, and hopefully, yeah, we're not guessing. But oh, I mean, last year they they played West off as a pinch hit, but very very minimal. Um, so I think I think Laddams does come in as a as a second ruck. Um, an up forward target um, and that probably takes a bit of pressure off Dixon as well so yeah let's um, let's note it um, but he's not in, Lysett's not in my calculations. The one thing that's scary for me uh, in thinking about Lysett is that yes Ryder was there last year but Hinkley made a decision to drop Lysett so he, he's not afraid to make a big decision so if you're starting with Lysette here at, at round one or early in the season or at any stage in the season, just be aware that Hinkley could make a big call on him. Not saying that he's going to be dropped whatsoever, but if it comes to the time where it's either he either wants to go with Laddams or Lysette, you know, Lysette's potentially at risk. Moving over to the Hawks, Tom Mitchell was in Tasmania last week. He said he was feeling good. He's completed all training sessions this week and everything is feeling good heading into the season. He's currently 52% owned, and he's too good to refuse based on his previous scoring history. Jep. Ticking boxes, Pete. We're ticking boxes, mate. It's, it's, I love value, and I love value from a um, bona fide pig. So let's just keep praying to the fantasy gods that he um, gets through, and he's, he's raring to go. From where we were about four weeks ago, it's looking quite positive that he's going to be good to go at round one. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Over to the Giants, Shane Mufford. Giants coach Leon Cameron said this morning, no doubt there will be some competition for it, being the ruck roll. He, Shane Mufford, might only play a certain amount of games. Despite the value for Jacobs, I haven't been interested all pre-season. And now I'm not going anywhere near that, Jep. Oh, it's starting to spin out. Look, I... We had Shane Mumford that's retired. He's come out of retirement out of an SOS call for them to have a charge of the Premiership. Mm-hmm. They've got a Ruckman 30-plus, probably in his you know, last big crack at it, still, in, still can produce quality football. I just I don't see the use in, in playing Shane Mumford. There were so many times last year where he, he slowed them down and he – Obviously, his physical presence one thing, but um, his ability to man up on the opposition ruck was atrocious. Um, so, look, I I still believe um, that Jacobs is is number one. Um, and yeah, this is maybe a bit of smoke and mirrors. The important points for me here are: if Jacobs plays all season, right. Yep. And the Giants, I think they'll be competing uh, for a top four spot. So, Correct. So at what point, and not saying Jacobs is going to get injured or anything, but but at what point is, is Leon Cameron going to have to give game time to Mumford to make sure he is in tip-top knee just in case he is needed in the finals? Well, he can do that in the knee full, and as far as I'm concerned. But Shane Mumford's a ruck coach, is he not? As, as I understand it, he's still a, a mentoring ruck coach even on the, as he's on the playing list. And after he retires this year, that's his role next year in 2021. Yeah, um, yeah I just – I think he he's just insurance. He's um, – he'll have to keep fit, definitely, and I see your point. 
but um, we all we all know what Jacobs can produce at his best. It's just whether he gets to his best. That's the other thing. For me, Jacobs is clear out and out number one. It's just the fact that Leon Cameron at any given week, and they, they are really conservative, the Giants, with with injuries. You yeah, they have been. At any given week, you just can, you might have to deal with this potential issue that, you know, Mumford could be up for a game. If if you're, I think your plans will be... That's to, fine, after the, as long as it's after the bye rounds. Phase. Well, that's right. That, well, that's what I was just going to say. If your plan is to have him until the bye rounds, that's going to be a long first half of the season. Yeah, fair enough. Moving over to Tom Green and Lockie Ash. They're set to play in a practice match against Sydney prior to the Mars series. They're really knocking on the door early, as said by Leon Cameron on radio this morning. For me, Tom Green might be a while away. Lockie Ash is the one to watch. Uh, he is Heath Shaw by 10. He's speed and running carry out of the back line. If Shaw wasn't playing this year, I would be very high on Ash to start the season at round one. He still may do so. But with Williams in there and a couple of others down the back line, it's hard to see him fitting in early. If there's an opportunity early in the season for Ash, I will be very high on him. Yeah, I agree with you, Pete. Oh, everything you said there was spot on. Um, he might just need to wait that one year. Is I think Shaw thinking this is Shaw's last year as well. Mm. Yep. Um, yep. It's all part of his prep for for bigger and better things. His physicality, weight weight training, bulking up, <clears throat> all um, all for senior footy next year. So, and I've, we obviously know that. Um, um, Leon Cameron uses his work sparingly. Yep. Um, Caldwell, again, in most other teams, would have probably played 15, or 10, 12-plus games, so um, maybe in 15. So, yeah, let's um, let's wait and see on, yep, injuries during pre-season and, and, um, and his performances, but it's, it's an uphill battle, I think, for Ash to play around one. The depth at the Giants is unreal. They bat so deep, Jeb. Yeah, it's it is. It really is, and it's the balance of youth. Though they've always they seem to hold these kids that just mm. like not many know about Xavier O'Hallahan, who is one of an elite midfielder um, for his age group, um, and could be anything. And he's just waiting in the wings patiently. Um, probably, you know, he might get a bit cold feet and want to want to head home or head to a club with opportunity. But, um, you know, I mentioned Caldwell before, and obviously Hatley, he Hatley, played yeah. some games last year. Like, yep. they're just stacked to the max. Um, arguably, probably their tall forwards is where they lack um, in depth at the moment. But, um, you know, nothing a, a draft or a couple of tr- aggressive trade periods won't fix. Pretty much watching the Giants in the last couple of years, Jeff, is that when there are injuries, that's when the opportunities come up for these young draftees. If Leon Cameron stays to that trend, that's a pretty much a pause on players like Green and Ash. Yep, yep, a hundred percent, hundred percent, no doubt in my mind. We've seen that in the last couple of years when Leon Cameron's been in charge. Moving over to Essendon, Devin Smith said on Channel Seven via Stevo tonight, it's probably the first time since 2015 that I've had a smooth run in the preseason. I think my role will be similar to 2018 when I was probably a little bit more mid than forward. He's currently 15.6% owned and that will increase. And he's also priced at an average of 97.1 points to start the season. Any interest there, Jip? 
Well, you're not picking him for value. You're picking him because Scores, you know you can, yep. but yeah, you can produce a ton and and there's obviously a, an important cog in Essendon's midfield and and um, twenty two. So if you think he's one fit um, in term being over his injuries and um, you know his role on field, which looks like they really did miss him last year, mm. then. To me, he's going to be high consideration, uh, but it might be a call of Dusty or Devon. So, do you go with, yeah. you know, the you know Dusty's a, a low risk pick, and and Devon's probably the high risk there. So, I can understand coaches keeping it safe, but for those coaches that like to think outside the square, Devon, you know, he's very capable of producing the one twenties. I don't know about consistently, but you know, more often than when he turns up, he can he can turn up well. So, um, and he's uh, any player that averages well, not averages, but can lay ten tackles in a game is going to score pretty high. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty keen on him, but I've got that flip of the coin decision between Dusty or Devon at the minute. I guess the forward status has extra and added value for fantasy coaches to slot him in the forward line. That's what the interest is here for Smith. Yeah, and like I think he's Devin Smith's a pretty good chance of finishing as a top six um, forward at the end of the year. Yep. Um, if if he doesn't, he'd be pretty outside on the cusp of it. Just so it might be a set and forget, and and um, you know pick him and back him in. Hopefully, his ownership drops a bit and. And whatever else, but that might not be the case. Fifteen percent is pretty healthy, but not overly exorbitant. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot to like about him at this point. I guess the way I'm relating this story of Smith this year is to Travis Boak last year. All the indications mm. and all the language coming from Boak last year in Port Adelaide that was going to the midfield. He's had a fantastic preseason. This is yeah. This is Devin Smith. Yeah, I'd. Um, that's a good point. Again. Um, and who knows how, what Rutten's influence is as, you know, this this dual coach yep. strategy they've gone with, what influence Rutten has in making the calls, knowing Worsfold pretty well from his West Coast days. He's massive on the um, study and the video and in the, in, not so much a tactician. Um, he relied a lot on Phil Walsh back in the day um, which brought us the 06 Premiership. But um, I think Rutten might add some value for us as fantasy coaches and pretty much demand that Devon has a physical presence in the midfield. Moving over to the ruck spot at Essendon, Tom Bell Chambers. He recently had knee surgery. He's sidelined for about two weeks. Andrew Phillips is now in play, but has a very low ceiling. Sam Draper is still several months away from AFL level, Jep. Yeah, it's a shame Sam Draper's not um, not ready now because um, there's a few coaches I'd actually consider Sam Draper as a rookie R2 spot, which would be very interesting. Um, but yeah, not to be. Timing's everything. Moving on to the Saints. Rowan Marshall. Paddy Ryder said today, if we come up against a Ruckman and Rowan's been good against him in the past, then he'll get first crack. And if he's going well, we'll leave him in here. This ruck situation at St Kilda 
it is Ryder and it is Marshall. Unfortunately for Marshall, who had a breakout year last year, he's going to be a bit of a restricted scorer this year with Paddy Ryder in the team, Jep. Yeah, like having Paddy there, it just screams inconsistent scores, doesn't it? You know, he, he Ron Marshall might, might score one twenty one week, but the next week um, he'll have less opportunities through the middle of the ground and, and Paddy Ryder will just step up and, and play a bigger ruck role and, and then... You know, Marshall gets a 70-odd. So it's it's just screams inconsistent scores for me, and when you're picking a primo, it's all about consistency. Yeah, the word that I'm thinking there is volatile scoring, other words. Yeah, good point. I visited North Melbourne training last week. Jack Mahoney has a bit of a thread going this year that he might be ready by round one. He did look a little bit undersized. Jack Siebel and Cam Zohar were restricted to running laps in the rehab group. I was at Richmond training on the weekend. Dusty looked sharp. He completed extra conditioning laps, while Raleigh, Collier, Dawkins and Marley and Pickett were as expected. Keep an eye on Thompson Dow and also Jack Ross. At Western Bulldogs training today, Bailey Smith was a standout, mixing it in with the midfield group. Raleigh West was also in that group. Don't be surprised if Ben Cavara gets some game time this year. He's a 170k forward. Moving over to recognising salary adjustments to the article up on alpharatings.com.au. Posted the article on the weekend, and it was just to show fantasy coaches that there is volatile scoring with high-priced players to begin the season. Not all players will hold or improve on their starting round one salary. In fact, a fair amount of high-priced players will fail in the early rounds. This creates a dual problem of a decrease in salary but will also allow your opponents to trade in your premium player once they are close to bottoming out in price. Competitive fantasy coaches will target your fallen premium, which will create an ownership spike. Last year, Zach Merritt scored 50 points in round one and averaged 81.3 points over his opening three games. By round eight, Merritt was owned by 59% of the top 100 ranked coaches. In that mix, the opposite way, last year, Lockie Whitfield... Um, he averaged 134.7 points from his opening three games. Many coaches, including the overall winner last year, were forced to change direction and trade him in. Of the 34 players last year, priced at an average of 100 points or more, a total of 11 players held or increased on their starting average over the opening three rounds. That's 32.3%. Only seven of those players over the home and away season averaged more than their round one starting salary. Your thoughts on that, Jeb? It's just a great stat to know and just reinforces what we've said in the previous podcast about nailing your premiums from round one. Mm. You nail those premiums, it becomes an increasingly difficult task for um, the other um, cavalry and, and coaches to catch up to you in terms of score just because they surely won't be able to afford some of these premiums. Um know your premiums it's just what i take away from that it's a really remarkable stat 30 odd low 30 percent 32 percent was it yeah uh, players starting 2020 round one at an average of 100 points or more there are so many factors in selecting premium price players things to consider including salary value ownership and ability to hit ceiling games we know players potentially fail or crush it early Jeppet and I will run through every player with a starting average of 100 points or more. There are 30 players this year. We're not going to be selective here. We are going to discuss them all right now, starting with Brody Grundy. 
He's priced at 122.1 points. He scored 120 points or more in 54.2% of games last season. Jep, he's 59% owned. Your thoughts there? What's better than one great Brody Grundy? Two Brody Grundies. So the captain legacy <clears throat> and option of Brody Grundy is is a big decision um, or a big factor in picking him, I should say. So, yeah, he's um, he's pretty much locked away. I did toy with the idea of not starting with him, but um, with Max a little underdone and under a question mark, it's pretty much a lot for Brody. Yeah, he's 59% owned. That's high ownership. I don't think there's any need to be different here from the crowd. Josh Kelly, he's priced at 115.9 points. Scored 120 points or more in 38.9% of games last season, Jep. He's 6% owned. Yeah, wow, that's pretty low ownership, um, given these talents. Um, but I suppose people are deterred from the likes of Taranto, Canelio, and some of the consistencies of Kelly. Um, from memory, he is pretty consistent with the ton. It's it's a maybe for me. I, I, I wouldn't rule him out. For me, once you start locking in Brody Grundy and, and their high price players, players like Kelly become higher to obtain in your round one starting squad. Over to the Bulldogs, Jack McRae, he's priced at 115.7 points. He scored 120 points or more in 43.5% of games last season. He's 31% owned. Jep? Yeah, he continues on from last year and and he's a quality, quality ball user and the Bulldogs want the ball in his hand. 31% owned, actually a bit low on the ownership there for me. I think his quality, his scores should remain and with Bont in that team, that should be the number one target from opposition coaches. I think McRae still holds his scoring there. Over to the Giants again. Lockie Whitfield, he's priced at 113.8 points. He scored 120 points or more in 31.6% of games last season. He's 58% owned. Jep, that's high ownership. Very high ownership, but his forward status um, makes it worth it, doesn't it? Very much so for me. Over to Adam Trelaw at the Magpies. He's priced at 113.1 points. He scored 120 points or more in 37.5% of games last season. He's 15% owned, Jep. Um, what he can score and what he will score is, is up there, but he's, he's been pretty consistent the last few years, and I, I, um, I, the ownership percentage is, is not enough to, um, to be, well, it's more of an incentive to pick him up, I suppose. He's, he's a semi-unique in those centre bounces for the Magpies this year will be Trelaw at number one, Adams at number two. I suspect Wills and Sear will be three and four, with Pendlebury potentially moving out of those centre bounce attendances. If that's the case, I think Trelaw will maintain his high average. Back over to the Giants again, Tim Tarando, he's priced at 112.6 points. Scored 120 points or more in 30.8% of games last season, which was quite high. He's only 4% owned, Jeb. People are off Taranto this year, obviously with Canelio coming back in, uh, Kelly, a uh, fit Kelly to start round one. Uh, people are jumping off Taranto. And Callan Ward as well. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. That's that's very low ownership and a unique who, like you said, 30% of 120 plus. It's a pretty good return. He won't stop scoring for me. Moving over to Melbourne, Max Gorn. Obviously, he's had that knee injury in the preseason. He's priced at 111.4 points. He scored 120 points or more in 42.9% of games last season. As we, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, he's only 10% owed. Yeah, look, I suspect that ownership will grow as we get close to round one. But um, if it doesn't, then I've got to reconsider my options here. If that ownership drops and he plays in the preseason, which I suspect the ownership will rise again, um, he becomes a massive consideration for me to go with the Gorn 
and Grundy stacked to start the season, which I didn't think I was going to be starting uh, a few weeks ago. Moving over to the Bulldogs, Josh Dunkley is priced at 111.1 points. He scored 120 points or more in 39.1% of games last season. He's 16% owned yet. I just, yeah, it's a it's a McRae or Dunkley for me, and I'm bigger on McRae. Um, although the ownership percentage is more attractive with Dunks, so I, yep. I still think McRae is the, the bet um, with his with his consistency. Yeah, I guess for me, I I believe the Bulldogs are going to have a strong year, and if they have a strong year, those numbers, fantasy numbers, are going to be quite high as well. I think McRae is a solid starter and maintaining his high average. Yes, there could be some volatility with Dunkley. I still think they'll score strong. But to maintain his price in the early rounds of the season to ensure other coaches don't get him, he's got to hit 111.1 points. Otherwise, his salary will drop, which will entice other owners to join in. Moving over to the Eagles. Andrew Gaffey is also priced at 111.1 points. He scored 120 points or more last year at a rate of 36.4%. He's 5% owned, Jeb. That is quite low for Gaff. Yeah, it is. And he'll keep on kicking on. There's no role change for him. We, we know what we're yep. going to get out of Gaffey at, at West Coast. So, um, far out, it's, yeah, for such low ownership, um, he's pretty low-risk pick, to be fair. And these are one of the discussions we had last year in our DMs. I was mentioning Gaff and his, and his scores early when he came back from suspension. From memory, you were mentioning his tackle numbers. Uh, but for yeah, me, he does. But for, yeah, me, he... but for me, his weighted possession was just overriding any, any part of tackle numbers. And he actually flourished last season for me. Yeah, he just goes 30 plus, 30 plus possession most games, but yep. um, doesn't need the huge tackles. So um, I suppose when he has scored lower, he's probably only had 25 possessions. So it's... Yeah, he's got to maintain that. Like I said, he, we know we're going to get out of gap. His role's not going to change. He's going to gut run and, and still pick up 30 possession plus. So um, it's, yeah, for such a low ownership. 5%, and it's, yeah. You know, yeah, it's it's like Gaffy in himself. It's a bloody, it's a pretty safe pick in my opinion. So that confuses me. 36.4% last year, 120 points or more. That has me quite interested, especially at 5%. Yeah, damn straight. Zach Merritt, he's priced at 108.3 points to start the season. He scored 120 points or more in 30.4% of games last season. He's 5% owned as well. Um, he's had a bit of an injury issue over the preseason, and that's why the low ownership. He does have a big ceiling. Any interest there to start the season, Chip? Not with his uh, preseason interruptions, I think. Learning from last year, this happened last year as well, and Zach didn't start the first few rounds too well, um, of the first two anyway. So um, it's a no for me at this point. Let me give you a bit of a narrative here. A player knocked out of the leadership group has a point to prove. Yeah. Does he, or did he Did he voluntarily step away from the leadership group so oh, he can concentrate on his footy? For more reports, he didn't get the votes. Yeah, okay. That might be the case, yeah. He might have something to prove, but again, he's he's, he's got a... Well, I don't know. We're walking... Are, are we overthinking it? Are we overthinking it? Because, again, his role is not going to change. No. He's a, his lateral movement's one of the best I've seen ever yep. in any AFL player. He's a great kick. He um he digs in and, he, and he, he's a hard worker. 
So, like Gaff, we know what we're going to get out of Zach. It's just whether he can, one, be fully fit, because that makes a huge difference to his output. Um, and two is, you know, it's it's where Essendon and the support around him in the midfield that that he needs, like a Devin Smith, to help him out. Uh, his ceiling won't change, but we are walking down narrative street there. Moving over to the Crows, Brad, Brad Crouch is priced at 108 points. He scored 120 points or more in 31.8% of games last season. He is a very low 2% owner, Jeff. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it was fantastic so, mate, last year. He was. He was. And I look, let's new coach, potentially a new role, more direct footy from from Nick's is, is the latest word um, that we've talked about before. Uh, I don't think he's that. Is that scary? What do you think? Let me go down narrative street once again here. He is out of contract at the end of this year. This is a player on a contract year. We know what it means in American sports. That means a peak performance. He was outstanding last year. His manager tried to get a deal with Gold Coast. I'm not too sure they were that interested. But this is a player on a contract year that generally suggests a spike in performance. All right, I didn't know that. So now I'm, now that I know that, I'll be watching him closer. Yeah, for me, I'm quite interested in Brad Crouch. 108 points is a bit high for Crouchy, but a contract year at 2%, he might be the one. Moving over to Geelong, Patrick Dangerfield. He's priced at 107.6 points. He scored 120 points or more in 25% of games last season. He's 16% owned. That ownership, Jeb, is quite high for a player. Only scored 120 points or more in 25% of games last year. Because we've got Crouch, as we just mentioned, Brad Crouch. He's a 2% owned and scored 31.8%. So it's a bit of a disparity right here. Yeah, it is. And I think everyone just assumes no Tim Kelly, like, Danger takes all Kelly's points. Mm. So that's not going to be the case. And um, I'm off Dangerfield. I'm going to have to wear when he does score 150 or 120 plus because that's definitely going to happen. Um, but I think he's on a on a lower trajectory than a lot of these other um, up and comers. He's no doubt he'll have his high ceiling games, but at 16% owned, uh, he's a fade for me to start at round one. Moving over to Sydney, Jake Lloyd. He's priced at 107.2 points. He scored 120 points or more in 36.4% of games last season. He's 31% owned. That's quite high, Jeff. Yeah, it's a bit too much. Um, but defender status, quality per, uh, quality, quality player. Um, it's pretty hard not to start with him, I think. Who's the other primo that you turn to in the back line? There's probably not too many, and I think Jake Lloyd is worth the dollars, and, and the ownership percentage doesn't really come into play. For those, well, especially with Doherty coming back this year, you potentially a lot of people might think of skipping on Lloyd and pushing that money into the midfield or into the forward line. Um, I just guess it's a bit of a structure thing whether you want to start with Lloyd or not. Yeah, fair point. I look, I think he's a safe bet again um, and worth the money, and you just sort of lock lock and load and set and forget. Back over to the Crows. Matt Crouch, he's priced at 106.2 points. Scored 120 points or more in 26.3% of games last season. He's 2% owned. Very low, Jeff. Very low. Um, much like his brother in a similar boat. He's probably not in a contract year. Otherwise, he would have mentioned that, knowing you. Mm. So, yeah, it's Brad over Matt. 
definitely he's got more to play for. Um, I can understand why his ownership's so low. Moving over to Melbourne, Clayton Oliver, he's priced at 106 points. Scored 120 points or more in 13.6% of games last season. He's 4% owned. As I've mentioned previously with Oliver, he's got a low ceiling, 13.6%. It's not an interest for me. Yeah, neither. Over to the Cats, Mitch Duncan. He's at an interrupted pre-season, so he might be under a done come round one. Scored 120 points or more in 26.1% of games last season. He's 1% owned. His injury history and his struggle pre-season uh, equates to a lower ownership there, Jep. Yeah, those ageing legs aren't going to help um, the sanity of fantasy coaches that pick him, so I'd stay clear. Travis Boak, he was a peak player last year for fantasy coaches in the forward line. He's priced at 105.7 points. He scored 120 points or more in 23.8% of games last season. He's a very low-owned 1%, Jep. quarter of games he scored 120 or more, so... Can he continue that this year? It's going to be harder. Well, Wines is out of that team for quite a while. Exactly. So they rely on him a lot more. For sure. 1% owned to start the season. Yeah. There's value there, isn't there? I think there is. If you want to equate the amount of games you're scoring 120 points or more in, a quarter of them at 1% ownership, there's something there for me. Moving over to Fremantle, Nat 5, he's priced at 105 points. He scored 120 points or more in 35% of games last season. He's 10% owned, Jip. He's a monster. He's a monster human. I've watched him here on the news regularly in WA. Um, He is looking massive and almost unstoppable. So I've got him in calculations. I just think he's untaggable. Um, I agree. and he's someone who can take the mark, and he hasn't. He's not the greatest set shot, and but he can still bob up for a goal or two. And I just, I think he he screens quality. So Talk, yeah, he, yeah. Could you imagine so, if you put together a full twenty-two rounds uninterrupted of full fitness? Oh, unreal. Uh, moving over to Brisbane, that fast former running mate at Fremantle, Lockie Neal. He's priced at 104.7 points to start the season. Scored 120 points or more in 29.2% of games last season. He's 9% owned. Jeb, any thoughts? No, it's not for me. I just, I don't like his ceiling and he faded late in the year um, from last year and that has been a trend. He, he'll be consistent, um, but um, his handball to kick ratio is not fantastic either, so it's no from me. His numbers were out of control early last season. A lot of coaches were stung trading him in in the early part of the 2019 season. Once opposition teams started to put time into Neil, um, his scores did fade, and that's where Zorko's scores started to rise. Moving over to the Bulldogs, Marcus Bontempelli is priced at 104.7 points. He scored 120 points or more in 26.1% of games last season. He's 4% owned, Jep. Look, this is one for me where I think he can take them. It sounds weird, but I think he can take the next step. Mm-hmm. And to do that, he's, he's obviously the number one target for the opposition teams, and Correct. he always will be. Yep. Um, but I still just think he's got it all. The tackles, the goals, the possessions, the, the, the role, the, the team, the team around him to getting the ball. I've got high hopes with him, and... I expect big things from the Bulldogs, and I'm big on the bond at the moment for fantasy. Yeah, for me, the opposition target 
uh, being number one for Bond, that's pretty much a no for me, even though he is quality. His scoring is okay, 26.1% of games at 120 points or more. I do think the Bulldogs will be a strong scoring fantasy team this year, but a player being a number one target and out-and-out out number one target, that just puts a bit of a cross on there for me. Back over to Brisbane, Dane Zorko. He's priced at 104.5 points. He scored 120 points or more in 29.2% of games last season. He is 1% owned, and we've had on this podcast before the overall winner last year, Craig. He traded in Zorko during the year at 1% ownership. And look out, Jep, he's 1% owned again. Yeah, that high ceiling would have helped. So um, 29.2% is, is a pretty decent output. Yeah, into for one, some big scores, yeah, but obviously he can he can sting you the other way when yep. he gets tagged and, and scores a sixty or seventy. So it's all about timing, and um, yeah, look, I, I'm just I just couldn't do it with Zorko not to start the season anyway. Let's um, let's take a leaf out of last year's winner's book and and look watch him during the year and see if we can gauge him for for bugger all. For me. When opposition teams started targeting Neil after his hot start early last year, that might be a green light with Zorko again because teams will again go to Neil and it's potentially going to leave Zorko open. Yeah, um, it starts in the first possession and yeah, that that definitely helped Zorko last season um, in terms of freeing him up. So, but we just we know he's going to get tagged. You know, probably ten percent of the games and whatever the the percentage is going to be. So, look, I I'm not going to start with Zorko, definitely not. One to watch, especially once the season starts. Moving down south to the Gold Coast, Jared Witts, he's priced at 104.5 points. He scored 120 points or more in 18.2 percent of games last season. He's four percent owned yet, which is actually quite high because he's had an ankle injury during the preseason. He should be right to go by round one, but it is an interrupted preseason. Average the most hitouts for quite a while, and probably the arguably the best tap ruckman in the comp. So, mm. um, I would lock him in for ninety-five plus most games. Um, but yeah, that preseason injury doesn't go with my um, with my fantasy planning. So um, yeah, no for me. Back over to the Magpies. Scott Penderbury is priced at 103.7 points. He scored 120 points or more in 29.2% of games last season. He's 2% owned, Jep. So again, 29.2% again. Pendles scored 120 plus. Mm. That's amazing. That is amazing for such a, a, um, a warrior of the comp and one of the most respected players. I just, I can't believe that. That's... That's for someone who averaged 104. Again, he's like Zorko, high ceiling, um, but probably stings you with some low scores. So, look, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't as much as I'd love to pick Pendles unless he gets, you know, dual position, obviously. And yep. if he go, moves to the back line, then for sure. But um, can't start with him, no way. Back over to the Giants, one high-owned player is Stephen Canelio. He's priced at 103.7 points, offers some value. He scored 120 points or more in 26.7% of games last season. 26% owned, Jeb. Uh, he does have a pretty high ceiling when he breaks that 120-point mark. 
true and there's the value there with his with his starting price so that's what everyone's jumping on and and fair enough too over to Richmond, Basha Hawley. He's priced at 103.3 points. He's scored 120 points or more in 27.3% of games last season. He's 12% owned. That seems about right for me, Chip. Yeah, that's about right. He's he's not on my radar. Um, had his best year last year, but um, I don't think that's a lock for again for, for 2020. So let's... Um, I could eat my words, and I probably will eat my words, but no for me for at the moment. Uh, we'll mention Dane Beams. He's priced at 102.7 points to start the season. He's obviously on a long-term break from the Maypoles. He scored 120 points or more in 11.1% of games last season. He's only a 0.2% ownership. Over to the Eagles, Elliot Yo. He's priced at 102.7 points. He scored 120 points or more in 21.7% of games last season. Only 2% ownership there, Jep. Yeah, look, again, we know we're going to get from Yahoo. I don't think there's much value picking him. Um, there's not much upside, so it's a no. Patrick Cripps, he's priced at 101.5 points. There may be some value here. He scored 120 points or more in 30% of games last season. He's 19% owned. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, he gets he gets tagged heavy, doesn't he? So there's there's the volatility in, in his scores, but far out he can go big. And with a, another year of, of kids around him that are getting better... He should get better, um, and he'd be pushing for a brownlow. He's lost a bit of weight um, and looking trimmer and fitter. So I'm I'm on the Crips train at the moment. Um, I'm not too worried about his ownership. I'm I'm looking at his value. So I think he's an average 110 this year. For me, the more I think about Patrick Cripps, is the more I think about Jack Martin in that midfield at centre bounce attendances. If Cripps gets the number one tag from opposition clubs, that may make Martin a more viable option coming out of those centre bounces. Your thoughts there? Yeah, I th- I just think Martin's going to stay outside for, mm-hmm. for for the majority of of his role at um, Carlton. He's a link player, so yep. they want to really utilise his quality ball use into fifty, um, delivering to the forwards. So. Yeah, I, I, and having Crips around Jack Martin probably well, definitely enhances Crips' school, and that's why I'm so big on him at the moment. Um, but I'm not ruling out Patrick Crips at all. I, I like him a lot. He's he's proven in years gone by that he can average, you know, I think he not like, in 2018 he averaged 109. Um, so it's, it's, it's possible. And the other player that's not going anywhere in the Carlton midfield is Sam Walsh. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Sam Walsh is only going to get better as well. So those three players that we mentioned, they're um, kind of starting to put it together. It's, it's looking good for them. Moving back over to West Coast, Luke Chewy is priced at 101 points. He scored 120 points or more in 16.7% of games last season. He's only 1% on chip. Yeah, not a high ceiling. We know what we're going to get like Yowie out of Chewy. And, um, you know, these guys will just do their job, play their role. Um, and yeah it's definitely no for me I know my team too well last but not least Josh Kennedy from Sydney is priced at 100.3 points he scored 120 points or more in 21.1% of games last season he doesn't show any ownership at this stage uh, your thoughts on all those players Jeb? what are we looking out for what coaches should be aware of selecting their premiums 
So uniqueness does come into play, but it's not the be-all and end-all. You've just got to back yourself with your, with your call that who you think is going to have a consistent, scoring, solid year. Um, we, we started this segment with talking about consistency and, and holding value, and, and that's got to be of the utmost. You know, the the um, ownership percentage is, is probably a bonus and, and shouldn't be at the forefront or one of the first attributes you, you sort of lean to. So consistency scoring, um, high ceiling, uniqueness at that sort of in that sort of order. So um, yeah, we've got to nail our primos, and I'm pretty pretty happy with mine at this point. Um, can't give too much away, otherwise they don't become too too unique. So um, yeah, I um, I said to you earlier before we started the podcast, I wrote some notes from last year and I've got to stick to the primos that I've, I've picked throughout the preseason prior to the Marsh series. Last year, I you know, I was panicking and I, I changed my primo picks and it's just a silly move in the end. And I've made, I make some notes every year on my spreadsheet tabs and, and that's one of them. So I'm going to back myself, I'm going to back my research and back the players and, and from our podcasts and... And all these stats that we're, we're um, screaming out to our listeners, it's um, it's just about assuring yourself of what what the quality players and where the quality is at, um, who's going to have big years, and who's going to scream or, or give a little bit of value at the same time. Again, things to consider include salary, value, ownership, and ability to hit ceiling games. For me, one of the extras I throw in there is looking at the early season draw, which enables players to hold their value. I forecast not only on previous history that a player has had with an opposition upcoming, it is whether that team, quite simply, win or lose that game. And then I start to factor in uh, player average based on wins and player average based on losses. Uh, we might throw up a few of those examples over the remainder of the preseason to help fantasy coaches out, Jeff. Sounds good. Before we close this podcast, if you would like your chance of scoring a plus six podcast cap, just retweet any podcast link that is sent out via Twitter. Once again, we'll give a few away towards the end of preseason. On that note, we'll wrap up this podcast. Thanks for tuning in.